Okay, if you've uh, got your Bibles there with you at home, uh, if you open them up back to that passage that Eunice read for us uh, from 1 John, uh, and that's the passage we're going to be thinking about this morning, just three verses, uh, verses 15 to 17. Uh, but as we look to God's word, let's just ask for his help. Dear Lord God, we pray uh, that as we turn to your word now, you would uh, take your word by your spirit and plant it in our hearts. We ask that you would help us to keep running the race of faith well. Dear Lord, we pray that you would keep us persevering, keep us looking to Jesus. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people uh, seem to have a really excellent memory, don't they? I'm sure you can think of someone uh, who's got a great memory. Uh, You're probably not thinking of me because I'm definitely not one of those people. But there are a few occasions uh, that have stuck quite vividly uh, in my mind. One of those occasions was my first night at university. My room was on a a long corridor uh, that I shared with about 40 other lads, uh, and it was on the third floor. And directly below my bedroom was a student bar. Uh, And and when I got into bed on my uh, first night at university, I could hear the music down below, and it was, it was karaoke night. Uh, and somebody was singing, or at least trying, trying to sing. Uh, they were singing a song that was popular at the time by a, a band called The Darkness. And the title of the song was this, Love is Only a Feeling. And as I lay there on my first night at university, blaring out below me uh, was somebody singing, stroke, shouting, uh, love is only a feeling. I wonder what you you make of that sentiment. I I looked up the words to that song this week, uh, and at the start of the song, the writer of that song uh, has the hope that love is something, something real, something tangible, something that they can touch and hold on to, something that they can believe in. Uh, But the song finishes with these words, love is only a feeling and we've got to stop ourselves believing because love is only a feeling. What do you think John, uh, the writer of this letter, would make of that sentiment? This letter that John writes is in stark contrast uh, to the lyrics of, of that song. We haven't made it to chapter four yet, but in chapter four, John is going to write that God is love this is what he says chapter 4 verse 10 this is love not that we love god but that but not not that we love god but that he has loved us and sent his son into the world to be a propitiation for our sins god is love and that love john writes is not only a feeling but it's revealed in his actions. His love is revealed in a person, in the person of of Jesus Christ, a person that John has touched, that he has seen, that he has heard, a person that we can believe in. And we also love. God made us in his image. And part of being in his image is that we love. And our love is revealed in our actions. We love the things that we give ourselves to. 
primarily we were made to love God. But back there in the garden in chapter 3 of, of Genesis, Adam and Eve turned away from God. And when Adam and Eve turned away from God, humanity didn't stop loving. They just stopped loving God. The problem is that since the fall, our love has become all distorted and, and bent out of shape. We love ourselves. We love our stuff. But we don't love God. At least, we don't love God until we hear the message, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that John describes as the message of, of light and of love. When we hear the truth about Jesus, about his, his death and his resurrection and, and what that all means for us, when we believe that message, something amazing happens. God pours his love into our hearts and we begin to love him. We, we really do. And John is writing this letter to people like that, people who've had that experience, people who do love God, people who, who have come to know Jesus Christ, the Son, and through the Son, they know the Father. And if you're a Christian uh, this morning, then that's your experience. God is no longer just some cosmic entity, some unknowable being at a distance. Because of Jesus, God is someone who you know, who you know intimately, and he's someone who you love. And one of the big concerns of the second half of this letter that we're looking at uh, over these weeks is that God's children continue to love rightly. That's not always easy because this world that we live in is a, is a really dangerous place for God's children. This morning, I'd planned to look at verses 15 all the way through uh, to verse 27 of chapter 2. But as I was preparing, I realized that was just too big a chunk. There was just too much there. So we're going to, to zoom in just on three verses this morning. I think it's going to be really helpful because if we grasp these three verses, they're going to help us understand the rest of the letter. In the first half of the letter, the big, the big contrast we saw was between the light and, and the darkness. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, John wrote in chapter 1 verse 5. And so those who have fellowship with the God of light must walk in the light and that means not hiding our sin, not covering our sin, but bringing it out before God, confessing it to him. And walking in the light also means loving our brothers and sisters. I wonder, do you know what a word map is? A word map. You sometimes see a word map after a political speech. Some politician gives a big speech, and after the speech, someone will develop a word map. And a word map contains all those main words that were, were spoken in the speech. And the more times the word was mentioned, the bigger the word appears on the word map. If we were to do a word map of the first half of, of this letter, the, the first half that we've looked at, the words light and darkness would be quite prominent. They would stand out in big letters. But actually in the second half of the letter, the words light and darkness don't appear at all. There's a new contrasting pair in the second half of the letter. And that contrasting pair is the Father on the one hand and the world on the other. 
You can see something of his contrast in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. As we uh, think about these three verses this morning, there's a warning for us to hear, and there are two reasons for us to grasp. A warning for us to hear, and two reasons for us to grasp. So first of all, uh, a warning for us to hear. It's there, it's clear and obvious in verse 15. This is the warning. Do not love the world or the things of the, in the world. It's a startling warning, isn't it? This is the first time, actually, John has written a kind of direct command or a word of instruction. It's a startling warning, especially when one of the most well-known verses in the Bible begins like this, for God so loved the world. And here, John is saying, do not love the world. What does, what does John mean when he says, do not love the world? Here's what John doesn't mean. John doesn't mean we mustn't love the natural world, the world that God's created. The the Bible celebrates the world that God has made. It's his creation, it's good, it belongs to him. So in Psalm 24 we read, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is God's and all who live in it. So when John says, do not love the world, he's not saying that we should withdraw from this world and all of the good things in the world. He's not promoting some kind of asceticism where we go and live in a commune. We only eat bread and drink water and kind of dress in in sackcloth. That's not what John is saying. No, God has made this world. And as Christians, as his children, we are to enjoy the good things that he's, he's given us. This phrase, the world, is, is used more than 20 times in this letter, and almost all of those come in the, the second half of the letter. Six of those just come in these three verses. And almost every time when John uses the phrase, the world, it's used in a, in a negative sense. So when John says the world, he's not talking about the goodness and beauty of the created order. He's, he's talking about the world in alienation from God, the world in, in opposition to God, a world where humanity is organized to turn their backs on God and shake their fists at God. So in chapter 5, John writes, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So that's what John means by the world. It's the world organized in opposition to God. This is the world that God's children used to belong to. If you're a Christian this morning, this is the world that you used to belong to, but you've now been rescued from. And while we do not belong to this world, we still, we still live in this world. And this world is a, is a dangerous place for God's children. So this morning, we, we really need to hear this warning. Do not love the world. We need to hear that warning because it's desperately easy for us to love the world. It's like falling back into an old habit. 
This world and our hearts, they're like Velcro. You know how Velcro works? There's the, the plastic bit with the hooks on one side and then there's the furry bit that the hooks grab into. This world in opposition to God is like that. It hooks into our hearts. It diverts our love away from God. In John, in verse 16, John describes all that he means by the things that are in the world. So just look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, or the NIV says the, the pride in possessions. That's what John means by all that's in the world, those three things. Firstly, this world it appeals to our, our body's desires, our desire for, for comfort, for security, for food, our desires for, for intimacy and pleasure. In a way, there's, there's really nothing wrong with those desires. It's, it's the way God has made us. In the same way God has made us to want to delight in, in beautiful things with our eyes. But the appeal that the world makes to us is to live according to those desires, to, to look after number one. The mantra goes like this, if it feels good, then do it. In all sorts of ways, this world encourages us to be ruled by what we want and what we see uh, and the pride of our own hearts. In this world, there's the desires of our eyes. We, we see something and we like it and we want it and we take it. The, the advertising business is massive. Apparently in 2019, it was worth a staggering $560 billion. $560 billion just in hooking in uh, to the desires of our eyes and around this time of year there's all sorts of adverts on tv for children if you've got children uh, at home uh, they will watch tv and they will see an advert and then the next thing they say is oh dad can i have that and it's not just uh, children that like shiny new things is it we're all prone uh, to desire things with our eyes this world hooks into our heart through the gateway of our eyes these, these two things, the desires of our flesh, what our body wants, and the desires of our eyes are, are a very powerful combination. Uh, and between them, they've given rise to a worldwide pornography industry that's worth around $100 billion a year. These are powerful drivers. The third thing John writes about when he talks about all the things in the world uh, is, is the pride of life. This world is about a boastful, self-centered pride that knows no humility before God. Something uh, to do with our possessions, the NIV translates it, as I said, a pride in possessions. There's something about having things that makes us proud and self-dependent and self-reliant. They make us feel like we've achieved something. They draw the admiration of others. Those expensive clothes, that nice car, those farm buildings, that big house, pride in possessions. And John says 
to us this morning. He warns us, do not love the world. We must not live lives that are ruled by what we want, by what we see, uh, and by the need to look impressive and be affirmed by the world. Do not love the world. We see the origins of this world all the way back in Genesis and chapter 3. Maybe as we've been looking at this, you've already thought about Adam and Eve back there in, in the garden. They're stood together before the tree uh, that God has forbidden them to eat from. God has said to them, if they eat of that tree in the middle of the garden, they will surely die. But then Eve listens to the voice of the snake. And as she listens, uh, well, hear what happens. So when the woman saw that the food was good to eat, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make her wise, she took it and ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You can see those three there all the way back in Genesis 3, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. One of the, the questions I've been turning over in my mind the last week is, how do I know when I'm loving the world and when I'm just simply enjoying the good gifts that God has given? What's the difference? Well, I think the difference uh, lies in, in how we receive God's good gifts. When I take God's good gifts in a way that he's forbidden... I'm loving the world. Or when I hold on to them tightly and will not use them in the way that God has told me to use them, those good gifts, for the good of others and for the glory of God, then I'm, I'm loving the world. It may be good for each of us to take some time today to consider what area are we being wooed by the world? Is there some area where we're in danger of loving this world we all have many choices to make big choices and small choices what will we give ourselves to is there some area where you're in danger of letting yourself be ruled by what you want what you can see and an attitude of pride I think as we uh, look at this warning this morning, it's important for us to see that it is a warning. Johnny's not kind of wagging his finger at us and telling us off and saying, do not love the world. This is a, a loving warning from a loving apostle and ultimately from a, a loving God. One of the ways God keeps his children is through these warnings. These uh, people that Johnny's writing to, they're not full of love for this world. They, they love God. But if they're going to continue to love God rightly, they, they need to hear this warning. This warning is a preserving warning. It's a preventative measure. One of the words that's going to come up a lot in the rest of the letter is a, is a word remain, or, or sometimes it's translated in a more old-fashioned way, abide. John's going to write, he's going to say, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. He calls these Christians to abide in him. That's in Jesus. Uh, 
in the gospel, we, we have the, the truth, the, the whole truth. We must stick with the gospel. The Christian is in Christ and he must remain there. And in order to do that, we must understand that the world is not neutral. This world that we live in is a rival for our love to Jesus. So that's the warning. Do not love the world. Now uh, we're going to look at a couple of reasons, a couple of reasons that we really need to grasp. At the bottom of our road where we live, uh, at the bottom of, of the hill where, where we live, our house is on a hill and, and the, the street goes down to a, a main road. We call it the main road. It's not really a, 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 a major road. It's only a single carriageway, but we call it the main road. Uh, and we have given our, our children a warning. We've, we've told them that they, they must not cycle fast down the hill. They, they really mustn't. And because we want them to follow the warning, we've told them why. So we say, don't cycle fast down the hill because if you get to the bottom, you might not be able to stop in time. You might shoot out into the main road uh, and you might be hit by a, a car or a truck and that, that really would not be good. So we, we give them the warning, then we explain the reason behind the warning because we want the warning really to, to get some traction. And that's what John does in this passage. He explains the reasons behind the warning. And the first reason for not loving this world is that this world is not from God. This world is not from God. He writes, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The contrast of the first half of the passage, light and darkness. The contrast in the second half of the passage, the Father and this world. The Father and light belong together. This world and darkness belong together. And John wants us to see our distorted desires for what they are. They are rivals for our love to God. They are our weapons in the arsenal of the evil one. When we find ourselves being, being led along uh, just through what our eyes desires or, or what our body wants, it's good for us to recognize these desires for what they are. They are not from God. They are not neutral. We all know what John means, doesn't he, when he says the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions. And I think half of the battle uh, of living in this world is recognizing those things for what they are. They are not from God. They belong to this world. They are of the darkness. They're worldly. Often, as Christians, when we think about worldliness, our thinking can just be too narrow. We think about worldliness in terms of behaviors to avoid and places to avoid. And in every generation, those behaviors and places seem to differ. But can you see from these verses that worldliness is, is much broader than that? It's much more subtle than that. It's much more deceptive than that. If we listen to John's words, we realize it's possible to avoid those worldly behaviors and worldly places and yet still be head over heels in love with this world. Worldly not, worldliness is not just bad sex, drugs, and stealing things. 
It's possible to be a thoroughly respectable person and to be thoroughly worldly. But here's something that isn't possible. It's not possible to love God, to be united with God and give ourselves to this world. Those things, those two things, it's not possible to do them both. So verse 15, if anyone loves this world, the love of the Father or the love for the Father is not in him. And we may want to ask, well, can I not love the Father and love this world a little bit? Can I not be ruled by a love for God, but also kind of follow the desires of my body, the desires of my eyes, and the desire to get more stuff? John says, no. <laughs> he's, got, he's got really no interest in uh, encouraging Christians to live in the gray areas. I think we really need to recover, recover a healthy suspicion of this world its methods and, and its values. As we live in this world, we need to remain vigilant. And that's part of the reason that God has placed us in a church family. He's placed us in a church family so we can help one another remain alert to the dangers that we face. We're traveling a dangerous journey, but we're not traveling alone. It's often the case that we would be the last person to spot uh, our own love for this world. Other people usually spot it long before we ourselves do. And so we need each other. Sometimes uh, I will need to hear from someone else those desires that you're following, your desire for, for more stuff, your desire to live according to what you can see. Remember, that doesn't come from God. It comes from this world. It's not good. So don't love this world. It's not from God. The second reason is don't love this world because it's passing away. Verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. One day, this world and all of those desires that John's written about will vanish just as with the coming of Jesus Christ, the darkness is passing away, so too the world is passing away. And John says, don't love it. When I was in my uh, early school years, I was desperate for a Mr. Frosty. Do you know uh, what a Mr. Frosty is? It's one of those uh, toys where you can make your own ice lollies. The reality is that in the Mr. Frosty box, there's probably just some ice lolly molds, some juice, and some uh, lollipop sticks. But when you see the advert, it looks like the Mr. Frosty can provide endless days and weeks and months of fun. And so, uh, as a young child, Mr. Frosty went on my Christmas list. He went on my, my birthday list. And if you could speak to the five or six-year-old Luke and tell him that there would come a day when his craving for, for the Mr. Frosty uh, would no longer be as great as it was. He probably would have found it hard to believe. But that day's come, it's happened. I no longer quite desire Mr. Frosty uh, in the same way that I used to. John writes, do not love the world because the world is passing away along with its desires. 
The world and its desires are as transient as my childhood desire for a Mr. Frosty. One day we will see the desires of the flesh and the desires of their eyes and the pride in possessions for what it is. It's transient. It's passing away. It will not sustain us. I mentioned at the start that I had a, a, a vivid memory of my first uh, evening at university. I also have another vivid mem memory. I, I have others. There's not just two. Uh, <laughs> there's more than two. Uh, but, but another vivid memory that I have is uh, of working as a medical student in the hospice. And we were going on a ward round uh, and we were stood at the, the end of uh, this lady's bed and she was in the palliative phase of her illness. She didn't have long left to, to live. She was crying uh, and she was also very bitter. She'd only retired months before. She'd spent her life saving for her retirement. She had a lot of things stored up, but now her life was, was fading away. And she uh, said this to me during the, the ward round. She turned to me and looked at me and said, young man, she said, this is my advice to you. Don't save it, spend it all and enjoy it while you can. John would give different advice. He would say, do not love this world. One day this world will fade away under the judgment of God and all who have loved this world will likewise fade away. This world will vanish. It will matter nothing. And so John says, do not love this world. Take your love and your affections and sink them deep down into something that will last. Sink them deep down into someone who will last. He says, whoever does the will of God will abide forever. Over the coming weeks, we're going to think a lot more about what it means to do the will of God. But the warning comes to us loud and clear this morning. Do not love the world or the things in this world. This world is not from God, and it's a world that's, that's passing away. Let's pray now and ask for God's help uh, to receive his word, uh, to take hold of it, and to be like uh, that wise builder who not only heard uh, God's word, but also put it into practice. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We thank you for this loving warning that we have heard. Dear Father, we ask that you would help us to receive your word humbly. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us those areas where we're in danger of, of flirting with this world. Lord, we pray more than that, that as we continue to look to Jesus... As we remember the goodness of the good news, we pray that our affections and our love would be firmly rooted in him. Help us to keep living well as your children, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.